0: Thank you that we can come before you now as your people, and we can. You speak to us through your word, Father. May you encourage us this morning. May you shine a light on those areas in our lives where we need to trust further in your promises. But Father, as we think about what we're going to look at this morning, Father, may it bring great comfort to our hearts. We know that as believers in this world, uh, we uh, we face. Uh, persecution and struggle and sickness and father we long for the future glory that is to come and father as we we think about these things this morning may you lighten our hearts may you lift our eyes and may we give glory to you the one who will lead us into glory In your son's precious name we pray. Amen. Uh, So as I mentioned after the service last week, Crystal and I and the kids got straight in the car and headed up to Wollongong for Nicole's funeral. And uh, we stopped in Canberra overnight and then drove the rest of the way on Monday morning. Uh, As we were driving on the Monday, uh, we received a, a message from a friend in South Australia telling us that the daughter-in-law of a couple that were part of our old church uh, had also died after a long battle with cancer. Uh, She too was a mum with a young family. Uh, But like Nicole, she too was also a firm believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. So it was an interesting week as we reflected on the lives of these uh, two women and particularly so as we reflected on the events that happened last year with our own family and uh, with Crystal's own health scare. At the funeral, I also spoke with uh, the pastor uh, who informed me that one of his good friends, a leader in another local church, had just recently died, uh, having only been diagnosed with cancer two weeks prior to that. Uh, Crystal also had another conversation with a young mum whose husband was also having his own battle as well. There are people that continue to be on our church prayer list as they face their own battles some with cancer some with other significant health issues too and moreover there are other battles that we encounter over the gospel uh, for our faith Uh, as there are many believers all over the world who face terrible persecution for their faith in Christ Jesus right now so we must prepare ourselves for what will surely come as our nation becomes increasingly secular and uh, not simply indifferent to the gospel but hostile to the gospel as well so as we were driving back home on tuesday night uh, crystal and i were chatting about what i'd preach about uh this morning and it seemed quite timely to spend some time delving into the hope that believers have for the future a hope beyond the struggles and the toil and the pain of this life as we know it now in thinking through the matter uh, i was drawn to paul's discussion in 2 corinthians here is a letter where paul opens his heart uh, his his ministry had been denigrated by the false apostles Uh, They were accusing him of being unreliable, they were accusing him of being a failure because of the immense suffering and persecution that he was encountering in his ministry. In the midst of defending his ministry, Paul, under the Holy Spirit's inspiration, gives us some of the most wonderful passages outlining the hope that believers have. Uh, He opens with these beautiful words in chapter 1. Verses 3 and 4, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. A few verses later, he debunks the often used statement that God never gives us more pain than we can handle verses 8 and 9 he says this for we do not want you to be unaware brothers of the affliction we experienced in asia for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself indeed we felt that we had received the sentence of death but that was to make us rely not on ourselves but on god who raises the dead These examples uh, give us some understanding of the temper and the focus of this letter. And with that as a general context, I want us to to focus our attention this morning on the beginning of chapter 5. Here, the concept of resurrection is brought directly into view. And here, ultimately, is the hope that believers have. In Christ Jesus, though we die, we still live. Death has been defeated for believers because of the victory of Christ. So if you haven't done it already, please turn with me in your Bibles and let's read our text for today, which is 2 Corinthians 5, verses 1 to 5. And my prayer for today is that whatever circumstances you might be enduring at this moment, you would find tremendous comfort in the assurance of the resurrection. So let's read. The Word of God says, 2 Corinthians 5, verses 1 to 5. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So the title for today's message is The Assurance of the Resurrection. And as we look at this magnificent passage... And we see that Paul begins with the believer's certainty. Verse 1, let me read that again. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. This is the believer's certainty. For we know. Paul's hope for the future is not based on feeling, it is based on fact. And it's not a fact that attends to him personally either, it is a fact that all Christians can rest their hope upon. What is this truth? Paul is speaking about the glory of our resurrection bodies that we will receive in the future. The same bodies we have now, but that one day will be glorified like Christ. Paul says to the believers in Philippians 3 But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. So this is the believer's certainty. So in 2 Corinthians, Paul describes our present earthly bodies as tents which is not surprising since tent making was Paul's profession before undertaking full-time gospel work. As many hours making and fixing tents no doubt the analogy would have sprung to mind. Uh, he could easily see the comparative weakness and temporary and transient nature of a tent to that of a building. A tent represents instability a house represents stability and security in chapter 4 paul had described the human body as a jar of clay here in chapter 5 he's changed the metaphor but the point is still the same king david praised god in psalm 139 that he was fearfully and wonderfully made and when we look at the intricate design of the human body we can understand why Right from the moment of conception, at the at fertilization when new life begins, we are staggered by the fact that on a microscopic level God has incorporated all that is needed for this new life to grow as it is sustained by its mother. Yet we know all too well that our bodies are subject to decay and death. But this is the result, however, of sin entering the world with adam being held to account as our federal head when adam was first made from the dust and then eve made from adam's rib they they didn't know what toil was they were set in the garden to tend and to keep it with joy but their disobedience to god's command brought that to an end and brought in suffering Yet even before sin and death entered the world, Adam and Eve were created with bodies that that only had the potential for eternal life. They didn't possess eternal life. That would have come only through obeying God and eating from the tree of life. They too needed glorified bodies, but instead of receiving them through obedience, they disobeyed and death became a judgment. And since that moment, hope for humanity needed to come from outside of humanity we needed divine intervention the wages of sin is death death is a constant reminder that there is no one without sin except of course our lord jesus christ whose death was not for his sin but for the sin of all who would believe in him here the eternal son of god took on human flesh and became our substitute truly god the savior truly man the sacrifice without christ there would be no hope for the world but through christ's life death and resurrection we see the plan of the triune god set in place before the foundation of the world to save a people for himself for all who trust in Christ Jesus for salvation, there is the certainty, the absolute certainty of receiving a building from God, a glorious resurrection body. that's so certain that Paul speaks of it as already in our possession. And the reason for this certainty lies in what Paul explained in his first letter to the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul was countering the false ideology that the body is evil but the spirit is good this was a, a greek concept and it had infiltrated the church making people think that the bodily resurrection was not necessary but paul dismantled that argument by following it through to its logical conclusion and this is what he says in 1 corinthians 15 verses 16 to 19 it says for if the dead are not raised not even christ has been raised and if christ has not been raised your faith is futile and you are still in your sins then those also who have fallen asleep in christ have perished if in christ we have no hope sorry if in christ we have hope in this life only we are of all people most to be pitied he's saying that if there is no bodily resurrection of the dead then christ could not have been physically raised from the dead either And if Christ is still dead, then our sins have not been forgiven and we are doomed. That is the tragic endpoint of denying the future bodily resurrection. But that is not what God has revealed. The truth is made clear as Paul continues in verse 20. He states emphatically, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep the believer's certainty of future bodily resurrection is grounded upon the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is the first fruits, he is the guarantee of the harvest that is to come. Our future resurrection is assured because of Christ's resurrection 2,000 years ago. When new human life is created, it's part of the sustaining providential work of god it involves the the use of material that he has already made and it's something that humanity participates in new life is produced from two existing lives a baby has a mother and a father but in the future we will receive resurrection bodies that are completely the work of god paul says back in 2 corinthians we have a building from god a house not made with hands. Resurrection is God's business and God's business alone. When Jesus declared that he is the resurrection and the life, he was making a direct claim to divinity. Only God can raise the dead. It's true in a spiritual sense. Remember that before the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, sinners are simply dead in their transgressions and sins, unwilling and unable to respond to God only by god's effectual call will they respond to the gospel but it's also true in a physical sense only god can raise our bodies and glorify them to be like christ and like them we shall be the house we will reside in will be as paul says eternal in the heavens now unlike christ we will not possess eternality as an inherent trait something that that we have by our own accord jesus christ is the same yesterday today and forever there there never was a time when he was not he's always existed as god the son never having had a beginning before believers our eternality will be something that god bestows upon us 1 corinthians 15 paul describes our resurrection bodies as spiritual bodies. That is because they are bodies fit for the eternal realm of the new heavens and new earth. And that is because they are created and sustained by the Holy Spirit. This truth should bring us to our knees in dependence on God. But the certainty of this truth should give us great joy and confidence... The earthly tents that we live in will one day be glorified, fit for eternity, sustained by the Spirit. This certainty leads Paul to speak of his longing for that day. And the cry of Paul's heart helps to reorientate our hearts as well. So from the believer's certainty, we now turn to the believer's cry verses 2 and 3 say this for in this tent we groan longing to put on our heavenly dwelling if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked we groan we cry out under the suffering we experience in this life we know that things are not as they should be even non-believers can see this whenever there's a disaster comments will always be raised that if if there is a god why is He let these things happen they know that death and suffering is not good there's something terribly wrong with that but of course the biblical answer to that is that humanity is responsible for bringing suffering into this world and that god has acted in jesus christ to bring salvation whereas god when suffering happens well we need look no further than the cross of christ but we can all see suffering around us we've all experienced suffering ourselves some of us more than others yet even for those who've managed to avoid what might be considered deep suffering through tragedy we still know the effects of living in a world that stands under the condemnation of god think of the the direct consequences given to adam and eve after the fall Uh, we see this in the way Uh, that women experience pain in childbirth childbirth is not a result of sin but the pain that accompanies it certainly is we see suffering in personal relationships god said to eve your desire shall be contrary to your husband but he shall rule over you gone is the loving headship and submission that was divinely established at creation now through the new creation that christ brings in we see the beginnings of restoring what was once lost paul says in colossians three eighteen, wives submit to your husbands as is fitting in the lord husbands love your wives and do not be harsh with them so in christ the the purposes of marriage before the fall are re-established but even as christians we we fail to fulfill those commands perfectly we also experience suffering in relationships wider than our marriages too genesis 4 records the first murder and only a few generations later we're told in in genesis chapter 6 that god looked upon the world and saw that all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth that's verse 12 so we experience suffering at the hands of others or think of the judgment passed specifically upon adam God said to him, "By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground." Now God had commanded work before the fall, but after the fall, the the stewardship of God's creation it would now be hard work, no longer a pleasurable experience. Moreover, when we read the account of the fall in Genesis three, we we might be tempted to think that God did not follow through on His threat that. If the man and the woman ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then on that day they would surely die. Yet die they did. From the moment sin entered their hearts to do this despicable thing, they felt the ravages of death upon them. And every human since has been born to die. Living in this world, we feel the ravages of time living in this world we are prone to disease technological advances uh, have enabled the average lifespan to increase but death still awaits us we even see the tragic irony that in this age of scientific development uh, the unborn and the aged have never before faced so many threats from fellow human beings ours is truly a culture of death and so we cry out for relief and of all people the apostle paul knew suffering but in his words he directs our gaze not simply to relief from suffering in this age but a greater relief in the age to come paul did not preach a prosperity gospel because even if god brings us through the trials and persecutions or or heals us from sickness and injury we still face death and so paul lifts our eyes to show what we should really be longing for in my own thinking i've found it hard to fathom at times the wonder of heaven but i i keep coming back to the thought that the joy that i have felt on my best day the most blessed day that i've ever had is nothing nothing at all in comparison to what is to come now, we we don't know yet what it is to walk around in bodies that are completely free of sin but one day we will one day all who trust in christ will be glorified and completely free of sinful thoughts and actions and and we will stand before the lord in purity and worship him forever as believers in christ if christ does not return first then we will still face death however death is no longer a judgment it's part of our transformation See in death we are freed from our corrupted bodies and when Christ returns our our glorified spirits will be reunited to our bodies but bodies that will have been raised glorious as well. Salvation does not mean being freed from our material bodies for all eternity. There will be a temporary separation of our spirits from our bodies but this will be an intermediate state. When we die, our bodies are buried in the ground, but our spirits go straight to be with the Lord. verse 6, Paul says, we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. So to be away from the earthly body is to be in the Lord's presence. In Philippians 1, Paul also says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And a few verses later, he says, my desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better well think about jesus words in luke chapter 16 we read his parable of the rich man and lazarus in which the moment lazarus dies he is carried by the angels to abraham's side where he is comforted then in luke 23 jesus declared to the repentant thief on the cross truly i say to you today you will be with me in paradise we have assurance from the scriptures that those who die as believers in christ are now with christ they are free from suffering and pain and have entered eternal bliss but this is not the end point of the believer's desire no, our cry is that we will not be found naked but rather fully clothed at the resurrection and that is exactly what will happen At the moment of death, oops, sorry. Now, um, that's exactly what happened. Now, in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, Paul does speak about believers coming before the judgment seat of Christ. But this is not to determine whether we are guilty or not. See, Paul says in, in Romans 8, verse 1, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus we've already been declared righteous before god through faith in christ our guilt has been dealt with there is now no condemnation and so when paul refers to the judgment seat of christ he's speaking about the evaluation of our works and the distribution of our heavenly rewards rewards that we will use to give glory to god for all eternity The judgment seat of Christ should not give believers fear, but rather inspire us to serve Christ well. Now, the Bible also teaches that non-believers will be raised bodily as well. Uh, At the moment of death, a non-believer's spirit goes straight to hell. In Luke 16, the rich man in Jesus' parable died and then endured torment. The torment came after his death. But this too is not the final state. Jesus declares in John chapter 5, For an hour is coming when all who are in their tombs will hear his voice and come out, and those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. The works of good and evil that Jesus speaks about here do not point to salvation by human effort, but are evidence as to whether God has wrought salvation in a person's life. For our purposes now, we should note that even those who have failed to trust in Christ will be raised to life. But their resurrection will be to judgment. They will not experience eternal suffering in hell as disembodied spirits, but truly as humans with body and spirit So whatever suffering the non-believer may have experienced in this life, their torment will be dwarfed when they face the eternal wrath of God. And this reality should cause sinners to quake and cause them to repent and turn to Jesus to save them from the wrath to come. But it should also spur us on as believers to preach the gospel so that other sinners may know the love of God as they repent and place their faith in Jesus these truths should spur us on in gospel proclamation but overall paul orients our minds our mindset to to cry out for to long for to groan for what truly awaits it's a call to lift our eyes to a greater goal and in doing so enables us to endure whatever suffering we may experience in this life now because when we are glorified the suffering that we experience now will be no longer we will live in perfect relationship with god and with other believers and with creation in the new heavens and earth now this does not deny the pain of suffering But it brings hope in the midst of our suffering. That's why Paul can declare in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. And so our grief will be real but so is our hope and so in two corinthians paul seeks to draw out the importance of this goal of resurrection even further and he gives us a tremendous reason for focusing our eyes on the resurrection it is the believer's great comfort verse 4 for while we are still in this tent we groan being burdened not that we would be unclothed but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life paul reiterates the same concerns here as he did in the previous verse the reality of suffering the longing for relief And again, he explains that the great desire is not to be released from the confines of the body, from the material, but that we would be further clothed with the resurrection body. But what he adds is the great comfort of the Christian hope. That is the end of death itself. The longing is to experience the glory of the resurrection body, because when this occurs, mortality will be swallowed up with immortality death will give way to life again in his first letter to the corinthians paul says this verses 53 to 55 for this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality then shall come to pass the saying that is written death is swallowed up in victory O oh, death where is your victory oh death where is your sting and so our resurrection means the end of death earlier in that chapter paul had declared death to be the last enemy that will be destroyed in romans 6 paul stated clearly that the wages of sin is death but he says the free gift of god is eternal life in christ jesus our lord it's the same thing we learn from our Lord when we're told in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You see, for those who come to trust in Christ as Lord and Saviour, the punishment for death has been removed. But death is still a reality. We enter into the promises of eternal life, but the fulfilment of these promises will be enacted when Christ returns in the book of revelation the apostle john sees a vision of the final judgment where non-believers will stand before the great white throne and after they're judged for their works we're told in chapter 20 in verses 14 and 15 then death and hades were thrown into the lake of fire this is the second death the lake of fire and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life he was thrown into the lake of fire right here we see the end of death those who trust in Christ then enter into eternal righteousness and those who did not trust in Christ will enter into eternal judgment if we continue into the next chapter we we see the extraordinary blessing that awaits those united to Christ Revelation 21 says this, the first five verses, and they are beautiful. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband What greater comfort for believers than knowing we get to experience the fullness of God's kingdom and the fullness of his presence. We have never known a day in our lives that has not been completely free of mourning, crying or pain. But this will be the experience of God's people for all eternity. But Paul seeks to give us further certainty of this future blessing and he also seeks to show us how god does not wait until the future to provide comfort for his people now while we yearn for this day we do so with the evidence that what god has promised he will deliver and so we come lastly to the believers confirmation verse five He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. There are two aspects of confirmation in this text, and both are very important. The first is God's purpose. Why can believers trust that what Paul says will come to fruition? because it is god's express purpose to do so listen again to what paul says he who has prepared us for this very thing is god and here we see the mind of god we are assured of our future glorification because that is the very thing which god has prepared us for now let's be clear god does all things for his own glory but amazingly He glorifies himself in bringing many sons and daughters to glory. And we are given further assurance that this is his purpose for his people. In the words of Romans 8, where Paul says in verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. He goes on saying in verse 23, We ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And then in verse 30, And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Our glorification is so assured that Paul speaks of it as if it had already occurred. This is where believers are headed. That's why then Paul can say in verse 28, and we know, again, there's knowledge there, we know that for those who love the Lord, love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. You see... When we understand that God has purpose to bring his people to glory, then no matter what happens in this life, we can stand steadfast in our faith, knowing that God is providentially guiding all things in our lives to bring us to glory, especially in times of suffering and tragedy. In times when we groan and cry out, we can trust that God has not abandoned us but that he is leading us in his infinite wisdom and infinite goodness. And that while we may not understand the process, we understand the goal, the end point. When we drove this week from Canberra to Wollongong, we spent most of the morning traveling through thick cloud, uh, so thick we couldn't even see what was on the side of the road next to us. But the GPS told us that we were heading in the right direction and the gps had our final destination locked in sometimes in life it feels like we don't even know our very next step and yet we can trust that the god who saved us is the god who is sustaining us and the god who is leading us in his purposes to our glory and it really is true that as believers we are not wandering aimlessly in our own strength. For you see, the second aspect of the believer's confirmation is God's pledge to us. God has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. The Holy Spirit indwells all who believe in Christ. He is, as Paul says in Ephesians 1, the, the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it we not only have the words of god but the presence of god within us as confirmation of our future glorification the outpouring of the spirit was the great hope of the old testament in the old testament god's spirit was present in the tabernacle and then in the temple god's spirit rested on certain believers for certain tasks for a certain amount of time the hope was that the Holy Spirit would arrive in greater fullness. And this is is exactly what happened at Pentecost. After Jesus Christ ascended to the right hand of the Father in heaven, the, the Father and the Son sent forth the Holy Spirit. And so the one on whom the Spirit rested in full was the one who poured out the Spirit upon his people. As Christians, we have the presence of God within us not because we are worthy but because the spirit regenerated our hearts and enabled us to trust in christ enabled us to acknowledge our sin and our need for a savior and now believers are rightly considered temples of the living god for god now dwells within each of his people and as we've seen from Revelation 21, what we experience now is a foretaste of what will one day be when God truly dwells fully among his people in the new heavens and the new earth. God's purpose and God's pledge are the believers' confirmation of our future glorification, our future resurrection. Just as we draw to a close, look back with me to the end of. 2 corinthians 4 and the words immediately preceding paul's encouragement in chapter 5 after describing the challenges and struggles he faced in his proclamation of the gospel paul says these words from verse 16 he says so we do not lose heart though our outer self is wasting away our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. He can speak this way of the the multitude of suffering that he encountered because of the promises of God for the future. As we we come into chapter 5 and the things that we've looked at this morning, it's ultimately the assurance of the resurrection that is our greatest hope. For when Christ returns, he will unite our glorified spirits with our glorified bodies and we will rejoice in his presence for all eternity. If you're here today and you do not believe in Jesus as Lord and Saviour, then I pray that the Spirit of God would convict your heart through these truths and that you would turn to Christ so that you too may be saved from the prospect of eternal judgment and to know the hope of eternal life. But for those of you who are in Christ, whether you are experiencing suffering or know of others that are experiencing suffering, I pray that these truths of Scripture words from God himself will be of tremendous encouragement and comfort to you. As believers in Christ, the certainty of these truths and the the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit enable us to endure through whatever suffering we might encounter. To consider even the most grievous of tragedy as light and momentary trouble when compared to the glory that is to come. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these wonderful words we've read today. Father, may you, by your spirit, continue to help us meditate on these truths as we head into this week. Father, may the assurance of the resurrection be of tremendous comfort to us all. Father, for those whom you've graciously brought into relationship with Christ, may we imprint these truths in our hearts and minds. May we think about them. May our perspective be seen. or May we see things through this perspective, whatever we encounter. Father, may it then spur within us a desire to share the gospel message with others. For if this is the, the wonder of, of what awaits us in the future, Father, we do not want others to miss out. We are not here celebrating these truths because of our own understanding of them. We are here by your grace alone. And so we pray that your grace would enable others, those around us who do not know Christ, and your spirit would convict them with these truths, but that you would use us, as means of sharing these truths so guide us this week bring opportunities to us may we be prayerful for those around us that they too would come to see the hope of the resurrection that they too would be saved from judgment and brought into everlasting life where we one day will spend eternity praising you in your holiness And in Christ's name we pray. Amen.